Good afternoon, Insignio family. Today's November 16th, and we are live uh, at our Insignio TV video series. Uh, today, we've got the pleasure of having Alona Tolentino Gornick with us uh, from Nuveen Churchill. Hi, Alona. Welcome to the call. Thanks, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Alona uh, is a is a Miami native, uh, as we've uh, come to find out, uh, which is which is wonderful. And um, let's talk about your background and your role at Churchill. Sure. So a little background on me. Um, I joined the team about six, seven years ago. I came on board as one of our first originators. So my role had really been focused on sourcing, assessing, recommending investment opportunities in our senior lending business to the investment committee. So really in the trenches, calling on private equity firms to find opportunities to finance their deals. So really on the investor side, but just earlier this year, about 10 months ago, I moved into a new role where I'm now talking to um, investors and trying to bring a lot of my background on the investing side to that community and educate. Amazing. And when you joined, you were on the deal origination side of things, uh, which is exciting. Could you tell us about your favorite deal, your most memorable one? Sure, there's so many, but I'd say from the standpoint of memorable, two come to mind for me. And they both happen to be backed by Texas-based sponsors, since that was my background. I was covering really the West, uh, West Coast to Chicago. So in the Dallas area, um, there was one particular deal I'll tell you first. And it's exciting to me because at that point in time, Churchill's evolution and growth, we weren't yet leading deals. And that's important as we talk a little bit about Churchill. So I'd like to say, I think this was probably the very first lead deal we won. And this is a deal, um, as I said, found by a, a Texas-based sponsor in the windshield glass space. So essentially the business repaired front windshield. And if you can imagine, that's quite um, a recession-resistant type of business where to the extent you have any sort of economic distress, um, you will still need to get that windshield repaired, right? Because you can't drive your car and get to work with that issue. So um, we ended up financing the business, um, being selected as the lead agent, and it was our first deal with the sponsor. So truly an, an excellent win on our part. And then we were then positioned really well with the sponsor going forward to do more. They actually ended up selling that business in maybe less than two years. So we really all made a great deal of money on it and, and certainly got back our loan earlier than we thought. I'd say the second deal that comes to mind is certainly in um, a different part of the market. It's a business that actually um, creates really interesting um, food. It's in the food and beverage space. And um, it's sort of the kind of, I don't know if, if you had kids, we haven't talked about that yet, but um, specialized type of drinks with cute little figurines and toppers on the top. So it's a bit more of an impulse buy that you'd make in the store, but your kid would love to have it. We ended up helping um, a private equity sponsor buy the business and also led that deal. So really exciting there and certainly something tangible to remember the business space in Atlanta. Um, we helped them end up selling it and stayed as an incumbent lender to the next buyer because we knew so much about it. So 
two great businesses out of Texas-based sponsors that are really exciting. Interesting. Thank you. And when we look at Churchill, so Nuveen is a is a very well-known name in the street. Can you can you give us some context as to the relationship with Churchill and the the key differentiators? Well, what makes Churchill different? Sure. So let's just take you to who Churchill is at, at the top end. We've been investing in private capital for over 17 years, but our roots are really in direct lending. Let's directly originated senior secured loans to the U.S. middle market. When we think about the middle market in the size range of 15 million of EBITDA to 75 million of EBITDA, but our target universe is really more broadly 10 to 100 million of EBITDA. And we were founded in 2006. We were acquired by TIAA through Nuveen, which is the investment arm of TIAA in 2015. And we were essentially selected to be uh, TI's exclusive U.S. private capital manager. So they could have picked any manager and they ended up picking Churchill. So I'd say two points out of that that are pretty important as far as differentiators for us is, number one, a cycle-tested track record. Our founders in 2006 are still active members of our investment committee today, and they look at every single deal we evaluate and really bring to bear their experience pre and post GFC and over 800 investments, $30 billion invested over that time period have really achieved an extraordinarily conservative philosophy around what they do in terms of lending and really a loss ratio that is pretty impressive in the industry of accumulated less than 1%. So less than 1% of the time have they ever lost money. And on an average annual basis, that's probably around five basis points a year. So certainly pretty incredible there. And then second point I'd make is as TIAA being our ultimate parent, we've got this really unique alignment of interest where you have the second largest private debt investor in the world who is not only a majority owner of our business, but also our largest client. So they really invest side by side with every one of your clients. When we bring a deal to TIAA, it passes their test, an institution. That is the same deal that we are allocating to this fund which is what your clients have access to. And then finally, I'd say, where is Churchill at right now? Right now, we manage $47 billion of committed capital. About 90% of that has been raised from institutions like TIAA, and less than 10% in the private wealth retail channel. So it's newer for us. But I'd say of the $47 billion, about half or more than half of that is in senior secured lending. That's our bread and butter. That's our core part of the business. But we do have two other direct lending strategies that are important to remember. We can do junior capital investing, and we can do private equity co-investing as a platform. And the fourth key area for us is private equity fund investing that we put together in a fully integrated way that I think is so unique in the market. I don't think any direct lender can actually fully integrate and really be seen as both a limited partner in a private equity middle market fund and be viewed as a direct lending partner when it comes to looking at a financing partner um, in a deal that they'd like to purchase. So I think being one of those lenders with an LP advantage really gives us an edge when it comes to sourcing deal flow and also an information advantage when you want to both underwrite the underlying investment and the actual private equity partner who owns it. So 
truly a uni unique advantage there. No, absolutely so. So uh, TIA uh, sitting alongside retail investors, you know, uh, it's the proverbial sniff test and that uh, that that passes. Let's talk about the deal environment currently. What are you seeing? Sure. So it's been really interesting. I know you've you and I've talked about this. The deal environment has been very slow. M&A more broadly through the first half, down at least 50 percent just across the market. Right. And then into the third quarter, which we just wrapped up, I'd say there's been a gradual pickup, possibly more so since July. Um, we saw a bit more activity in August and started to see these green shoots. And then um, September, and now we just kind of looking into Q4 October here, ended up being our second busiest month in eight years, just behind December of 2021. So we're really starting to see a nice pickup in both the traditional core middle market, which is where we focus for Churchill's platform, that 10 to 100, but also a nice pickup in the upper middle market as we've seen more confidence in the market appetite to actually pursue deals, the, the gap between the bid-ask spread where a buyer wants to buy it, a deal and a seller wants to sell has sort of come in, given mm -hmm. there's been more clarity around the Fed kind of peaking of where rates would be. So I'd say that's been kind of an interesting guideline to what will the fourth quarter look like. And to the extent we actually continue the momentum, particularly off of, off of October, I think we should have a pretty solid fourth quarter here. And if we do pull it off, we may in fact meet 2022's full volume, which would be Herculean because mm -hmm. of that really slow first half we had. So definitely for Churchill's business and the way that we really source on an advantaged basis, all of our deal flow with that LP advantage, we've certainly seen the market. We had the pickup in activity while at the same time remain, remaining extremely selective and really only closing on 5% of the deals that we actually source. So hit that volume without um, compromising on that discipline. Sure. So a little bit more clarity on the terminal rate um, gives buyers and sellers a little bit more confidence uh, to come to the table. So as far as the opportunity set uh, going forward, what uh, what are you most excited about? Yeah, I think we're going to continue to focus on the senior secured loans. You've got extraordinary uh, yields right now in the double-digit context, call it 12, 11, 12 percent. I'd say senior secured loans haven't seen double-digit yields outside of maybe this is the third time in 40 years we've seen it reach this level. This is an asset class that's generally been a 6 to 8 percent yielding asset class. And the two other times we saw this were extremely short-lived. 2008, which we don't want to have to live through again, right? And then rates dropped to near zero and the Fed got into action and we sort of didn't see that um, kind of spike. And then in the mid-90s, right? Very short-lived as well in that time period. Right now, in the higher for longer kind of narrative and context we might be looking at, this may be a bit more sustainable, albeit it may contract or compress maybe 12 18 months from now, but I don't think we're going back to that zero rate environment by any means. So I do think we should see some pretty compelling yields in senior secured loans, while at the same time, we are putting debt 
on these companies at very conservative, lower leverage attachment points, right? Because the, the big focus is, can you generate enough free cash flow to service your debt? And we're only going to give you the amount of debt quantum that you can responsibly do that while we feel comfortable with it. So we're going to offer you much less leverage than you would have gotten a year, a year and a half ago. Now, what's happening is middle market deals have shown some pretty good resilience and purchase price multiples. So mm -hmm. while we are offering less debt, the makeup is really coming in from the private equity firm. We're actually putting in more equity. So I feel a lot more comfortable that the equity contributions we're seeing in, in the deals we do are now approaching 60, 63 and a half, 65 percent, where that gives me a lot more business valuation cushion on lower leverage with extraordinary yield. So certainly think senior secured loans will remain the dominant position in our fund. I do think selectively there's some interesting things happening in junior capital. I think you just want to really be mindful of cash pay structures versus the pick or pay in kind features, which at that which right now are really shifting to pick. So to the extent we see anything with more cash pay, that's still interesting because those leverage levels have also come in or are more conservative. Um, and then we'll opportunistically look at equity co-investment to sort of boost a bit more upside potential for this fund. I think we'll still keep that at a very low percentage overall of the portfolio mix. Okay. Um, so it sounds like the team has been very mindful about leverage creep. Uh, if we look across the spectrum and uh, let's let's look at some of the competitors uh, in your space, let's talk about some of the pitfalls um, that that maybe you've seen in your in your experience. Sure. You know, I think with any asset class, when you've got new entrants, right, that are very excited about really coming in to help um, kind of take advantage of the yields we just talked about, there may be an enthusiasm to put newfound capital to work very quickly, right? You don't, you don't raise capital to sit on it. You raise capital to deploy it. And what I would say maybe isn't necessarily a pitfall, but a potential concern that I have is really an erosion of discipline that could happen when you have um, this sort of motivation to, to get any deal across the finish line in a slower deal environment. And what does it mean to win that deal? It may mean um, in a slower, uh, you know, fewer deals, more money chasing fewer deals, uh, compromising on potentially price, right? So you, you tighten up your price. The next lever you might look at is maybe increasing your leverage tolerance a little bit more than the other guy, right? So you might see a bit more of that erosion and a pitfall that could come from a crowded or looks a perception of crowded market, but with less deep experience in the space. So to the extent we have more managers coming in, I would, you know, really recommend folks to look at well, what is their background? Are they coming in with a high yield background? Are they coming in with a leverage finance background, um, commercial banking background, or have they been middle market lenders, you know, and been in this business pre and post crisis. I think that's very different. So pitfalls would be potentially, you know, not maintaining the discipline in what's a competitive space. And to the extent at Churchill, we do not have volume targets. We are more than fine to walk away from a deal. And that's a very strong vote of confidence that your advisors should have. 
when it comes to maintaining our selectivity, right? And making sure that we still um, adhere to our underwriting rigor, while at the same time, because we see the market, because we have a sourcing advantage, our volume really hasn't been as impacted because we are seen as a preferred lending partner and we get that first call on nearly every deal that we want to take a look at. Awesome. So you, you've been around for a couple market cycles and we've seen you know moments where there's been uh, moments of excess. Do you think we, where, where, where are we on the, on the spectrum of excess? I think we're still, you know, pretty much in a very conservative place more broadly, uh, given that it's still a lender's market. When I say a lender's market, I mean more broadly from a financing perspective, capital is constrained. Um, the traditional banking system has really pulled back, and that's really driven a lot of deal flow from public credit to private credit. Now, in the private credit space, while we just mentioned many managers coming in, a lot of capital be intending to be raised. I think at the same time, every lender is still being very judicious, right? Mm -hmm. About how much leverage attachment point they're willing to go to. So I still think it's a lender's market in holding to, you know, appropriate interest coverage ratios, right? Making sure you're comfortably going to be able to service a whole year's worth of, of debt on your interest. And, um, Due to that, I think we're still not yet seeing a massive amount of excesses, but maybe if I were going to identify earlier signs of where that could happen, I'd say look to industries where you probably saw the most aggressive deal making, right? And, and two I'd point out would be tech, right? Software as a service is certainly a very exciting, high recurring revenue, contractual, like visibility on the top line, garnering pretty incredible multiples, 15, 18, 20, 25 times multiples to buy the business. And we saw, uh, you know, firms levering at six, seven, eight times. So to the extent um, those may run into a little bit of trouble, I don't think we're seeing new underwrites in that arena mm -hmm. yet, but maybe that's, that's an area that could potentially start to see a crack first. And then the second industry I'd say is potentially healthcare services where, there was certainly a lot of excitement around a very defensive sector, right? Healthcare and these really exciting roll-ups in, um, you know, physician practice management, dental, orthodontics, orthopedics, you know, um, women's health. It's, it's like a multi-site idea. And if you grow too quickly, can you grow into um, the leverage, the balance sheet that you had put in place? So I think those two areas may be potentially early signs, but we haven't seen it just yet. Um, so no excesses. I think we're still early on, um, but that's what I'd be watching out for. Super fair. Um, so we we know that the private market has many more companies than the public market. So the opportunity set is far more vast. What would your message be to an advisor who is looking at private equity, private credit for the very first time uh, for their clients? So for the first time, I'd say don't be intimidated by how much information is out there. But I'd say just really take your time and understand the number one thing is manager selection. There is not a one-size-fits-all private credit solution. 
every manager will actually, in fact, be a little different. And it's really a matter of listening to their pitch and discerning what is really different about these various platforms. Now, they may start to blend together and sound the same, but the really big part about this is being the detective, right? You've got to actually ask the right questions. You can't just sit there and let them feed you the commercial, okay? So ask them, you know, not all senior secure debt is created equal. Another thing there, there are various levels of leverage attachment points that really bring different types of risk on average into a portfolio. So I'd say really thinking about manager selection is key, understanding the various investment strategies that they have and the differences there. Um, the team, the people are extremely important. Their track record, they say they've been around for a while. That's great. What have they been doing that whole time? Have they been investing together or did they come from different places and decide to kind of band together five years ago? And have they been doing middle market direct lending or were they doing something else? You know? And then the third area I'd say is what is their secret sauce around sourcing? Because I think deal flow and your access to deal flow really drives performance. Because if you can't access deal flow and see as much as possible from the top of the funnel, then how can you be selective and pick the highest quality assets? If you can only source what comes through the door, that, that, that's the deal you're going to do, right? If you only see two, three deals a week, that's it. So really think about how does this firm originate? How do they source deal flow? And how entrenched is that relationship, that access to deal flow? So, you know, three key areas. And then I guess fourth is really think about the, the, their source of capital. You know, are they a one-trick pony? Do they only rely on the BDC market? Are there other sources of capital? Are they sponsored by, you know, a publicly traded company? Or are they sponsored by a big financial global institution, you know, that has been around for 100 years? You know, there are very big differences on where is the sponsorship of the platform. Right. Uh, so you, the persistence factor is certainly more important uh, and more pervasive in uh, in the VC and private equity landscape versus your public equity kind of counterparts, uh, and actually by by a massive degree, right? So the 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 lesson here is manager selection to your to your point. Um, an announcement here for for those that are uh, looking at PCAP, uh, it is available for domestic and recently it is approved for offshore, uh, both through iCapital. Okay. And when we, we look at the managers that we have available on our platform and, you know, some of our favorites, it's a very, very short list and you can count them on, you know, less than, less than two hands, you know, a little bit over one hand, but less than two hands. Um, to, again, to the, to the persistence factor. Some, some closing thoughts here as, uh, as we wind our conversation down and open it up for Q&A to the field. Sure. What I'd say is really um, just as a reminder, we do have this Naveen Churchill Private Capital Income Fund or PCAP. We, we're so excited about it. It is our second BDC, but it certainly isn't the second fund that we've managed. Churchill has been around, as I said, for 17 years, and we now have a platform, such a special platform 
that's got over 40 different funds, separately managed accounts, BDCs, a CLO complex that we manage on behalf of massive institutions, global institutions, um, and then now also the, the private wealth and retail channel. So we're really excited to bring what we've been doing for decades to this market, but to keep in mind that as we've seen tremendous growth, not only in the asset class, but in our business, having restarted with TI in 2015, mm-hmm. where we went from a $300 million separately managed account from them, which is big, to now managing $25 billion in senior debt alone in eight years. But no matter that growth, we've stayed true to focusing on that core middle market, right? We still do about 40 to 60 deals a year. Hmm. We've really managed to grow with our scale and just give a, a more fulsome solution to the private equity community that now doesn't even want to call anyone else, right? Because we can give them a customized um, you know, high degree of confidence that we will get it done with them. So our repeat business has certainly picked up a lot. So I'd say the private credit, you know, asset class is still really exciting. Even though everyone's talking about it, there's a lot of sustainable, um, significant demand that I think will continue propelling the asset class forward. I do think there's going to be more entrance. You're probably going to hear a lot more about private credit managers. But to the extent that you can keep in mind, you know, and create a framework around looking at private credit managers and discerning, you know, that manager selection criteria you need to come up with. I think that will help you tremendously. Awesome. If if there are any questions from the field, you can uh, raise your hand or put the question in the Q&A box. There was another point that uh, that I wanted to touch on, which was the the awesome fee holiday until May. As I understood it, I, I can't think of another fund that... Um, that was doing that currently. Uh, oh, tell I'm us a little so bit about that. I'm so happy you said that. So PCAP, our lovely fund. So as you mentioned, we um, it's a monthly subscription fund, mm-hmm. uh, monthly distributions, which were now annualized at 12.2% annualized yield, and then quarterly repurchase flexibility. Um, what we do have is one of the most competitive fee structures in place where the management fee is 75 basis points and the performance or incentive fee is 15% over a 6% hurdle we need to earn for our investors before we take our cut. Now, both of those fees um, for the 12 months since we launched third party will be entirely waived. The fund is actually free, yet it's generating a 12.2% yield for any investor that comes into it. And this is only happening through May of 2024. So definitely once it does kick in, I'd say our 75 basis point management fee compares extremely favorably to the market at 125 basis points. And then certainly combined with our incentive fee, we do have a higher hurdle than others. Um, We do have great yields we're already seeing. So I do think that that's a fair fair place to be, but um, a pretty attractive package if it's free um, and in giving you 12.2% back. Amazing. Amazing. Well, our time together has uh, has come to an end. Uh, Alone, I wanted to thank you and, and the entire team. You guys have been incredible to support. Um, so we thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Alona Gornick uh, with Churchill PCAP. Alana, thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Alana.
was so great to be with you. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Good evening. Bye. Insignia Financial Group LLC comprises a number of operating businesses engaged in the offering of brokerage and advisory products and services in various jurisdictions, principally in Latin America. Brokerage products and services are offered through Insignia International Financial Services LLC, headquartered in Puerto Rico, and through Insignia Securities LLC, headquartered in Miami. Both are members of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, and Securities Investors Protection Corporation, CIPIC. Investment advisory products and services are offered through Insignia Advisory Services, LLC, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In Uruguay, advisory services are offered through Insignia International Asesores de Inversión Uruguay, SA, Insignia Asesores de Inversión LATAM, SRL, and Insignia Asesores de Inversión de Uruguay, SRL, in Argentina, and through Insignia Argentina, SAU, and in Chile through Insignia Asesorías Financieras, SPA. Collectively, these eight operating businesses make up Insignio Financial Group. To learn more about the broker-dealers, including their conflicts of interest and compensation practices, please go to https colon forward slash forward slash insignio.com forward slash disclosures forward slash or via www.finra.org. To learn about Insignio Advisory Services and any conflicts related to its advisory services, please see its form ADV and brochure, which can be found at, ins at investment public Advisor Public Disclosures website, https colon forward slash forward slash advisorinfo.sec.gov forward slash.